Hello, fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. Wanted to go over my three keys to success in 2023 and kind of challenge you guys a little bit. So let's get into this. My first key that I wanted to challenge you guys to think about and maybe implement in your own life is to look at ideas that you have held to be true, but yet you haven't researched them. And and we all have these things. I mean, I've got them. Everybody's got them. You, You have these ideas that the reason you believe they're true is because they've been said so many times over and over and over and over and over again that you just assume, well, they have to be true because all these smart people are saying them or saying this thing. And if all these, if it wasn't true, all these smart people wouldn't be saying it or, you know, whoever you look up to for uh, some ideas, whether it's uh, FinTwit or uh, I don't know, mainstream media, <laughs> probably not rebel capitalist crowd, but uh, whoever it is, whatever group, I would uh, challenge you to push back on some of those, especially from a standpoint of economics, which as you guys know, that's what I like to focus on. Let me give you a quick example of what I'm referring to. And let's see what the screen share, cool. So this is a tweet that I just sent out and I'm sure probably a lot of you can relate because it's just one of those things that you've heard over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So you assume that it's just gotta be true. How many of you have heard in order to tame price inflation, you have to have positive real rates. And this is just one of those things. And you guys know that over the last month or so, I've been trying to explore the idea of sound money. And is it a panacea? Would it move the needle? Maybe, maybe not. I didn't want to just assume that, well, if we just had sound money, then all our problems would be fixed. Because you hear that? And that's something that I truly believed for a long, long time. But when I did the research, and as I continue to do research, and my thinking evolves, it becomes more and more clear to me that although sound money is desirable, absolutely 100%. It, it's, it's, it's by no means a panacea. And in fact, I, I think if I had to list like the top five things that we could do to increase freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, improve the standard of living for the poor and middle class, sound money would probably be, well, definitely be in the top 10. Uh, it might be in the top five, but maybe not, meaning that there are all these other things that we can do, which would have a much better or bigger impact on our mission, assuming that's freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, and improving the the lot in life for the average Joe and Jane. And I would not have come to those conclusions if I would not have just tried to, hmm, let me think about this one here and let me do some research. Let me not, I don't want to just accept that this is true because all these smart people that I have a ton of respect for be, just because they say it is. Uh, let, let me just dig a little deeper here. And uh, when you do so, I think you you understand the world around you much better. And the conclusions that you come to, I think are, uh, you're, you're, you're better able to articulate them and also use them as a positive framework in the future, whether it's in your life or, you know, setting up your personal portfolio. So let's continue to go through this here. 
uh, like many things it said so often, we assume it to be true without further research. Okay. So we kind of push back on this sacred cow that you have to have positive real rates in order to tame price inflation. And I point out that in 1947, CPI was 19%. Two years later, it was negative two, meaning 2% deflation. And you say, well, George, well, rates would have had to have gone up higher than 19%. No, not even remotely close. So here is a really cool chart. And uh, this goes from 1934 to 1953. And we've got 10-year T-bills or T-bonds, excuse me. We've got three-month interest rates. We've got three-month T-bills. And then we have the discount window from the Fed. I guess they didn't have a, a specific Fed funds rate back then as we know it today. But these were kind of the the, the broad interest rates um, that, that we would assume would have to be higher than the rate of inflation to bring those prices down. And the highest interest rates we had were on the 10-year T-bill. And for most of this time, I think they had yield curve control. So it, it never got really above 2.5% during this time. And then even in uh, 47, when inflation was 19%, you see it actually went down to where it was just a little over 2%, so call it 2.25%. And that was the highest interest rate out of these four that are listed. So the bottom line here is we weren't even close to 19%. I mean, you're talking about basically 17% negative real rates. But yet by the time we got to 48, 49, we were at negative 2%, meaning 2% deflation. Now, a lot of people will say, Oh, George, you can't compare that because that doesn't count because of X, Y, and Z. World War II, we had price controls. We had all these things. Um, okay, well, I mean, in 2020, we had something called the Cerveza sickness, right? We had global lockdowns. We had uh, massive supply chain disruptions, which I would argue, as far as just the supply chain disruptions, were probably very similar to what we had during World War II. And we had a massive spike in demand when all the the people came back from fighting in the war and yada. Okay, well, great. We had stimmy checks. So my point here is when, and we'll use this chart. I don't want to pick on this guy, but he's the one that tweeted it out. So, And you heard uh, people that I have a ton of respect for, like David Einhorn. He said, it is monetary policy 101 that to defeat inflation, you need positive real interest rates. Druckenmiller, once inflation gets above 5%, it's never come down, he said. It's never come down unless Fed funds has gotten above CPI. That's just that's just that's just not true. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's true if you just go back and use this chart. And all they do is they just go back to 1970s, like like the 1940s didn't exist or something like that. And you can see that yes, it is true if you just exclusively look at the 1970s <laughs> that you had to get the Fed funds above CPI. And again, I don't know. This could just be correlation. Who knows? It might not be causation. But uh, you see my point. And uh, then today, you know, they say, "Oh, well, we don't have real positive real rates yet, so there's no way that uh, we're going to have any type of disinflation whatsoever." But you know, if I agree that uh, World War II and the 1940s are not an exact replica of what we're dealing with today. I get it. But I would argue that 2020 and 2021, 2022, uh, and 2023 are much more like the 1940s than they are the 1970s, especially when you look at the, d- the dynamics 
that have created or most likely have created this consumer price inflation. So I just wanted to throw that out there as just one example to encourage you guys to do the exact same thing when you're thinking about economics or, or finance or whatever it is, that whatever these sacred cows are or whatever these things are that you just believe to be true because you've heard them over and over and over again, whether it's me saying them, I mean, push back against what I say for heaven's sakes. Um, I would really encourage you and challenge you to do those same things and take some time out on the weekends, maybe if you get a couple hours and do a little homework and just pull up some charts and pull up some figures and say, hmm, is, this, is this actually true based on the data or is this uh, just part of a narrative? So that was number one. Number two, and this is some insight. This may sound ridiculous, but I, I don't think there's any better advice I could give you as far as understanding the global macro and understanding, especially the monetary system, than just doing those stupid little T balance sheets that I use on pretty much every one of my whiteboard videos. And I actually talked about this on Rebel Capitalist Pro last night when we did our live stream with the members. And, uh, but I got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I should really share that with everybody. Because uh, if I had to, like, if I was training Josh as an example, or training someone that was just trying to learn how the monetary system works, this is the first thing I would tell them to do. And so I, I used this last night, and you guys can just take, take a, a notepad for heaven's sakes. You don't have to have a whiteboard like I do. Just get a legal pad for heaven's sakes at Office Depot. And you just do the, those, you know, just like I do on the whiteboard. How you've got that little T, and you got assets on the left, liabilities on the right. And in this one, I was just going over for the Rebel Capitalist Pro members, um, if M2 money supply increases when the Fed does quantitative easing. And I, I you know, it was funny, I answered the question, it took me about five minutes, and it was very convoluted. And as I was answering the question, although it was clear to me what I was saying, because I've studied this stuff a lot, I knew that the way I was saying it, it, it would have just gone right over people's heads. And so I, that's what gave me the idea that, hey, you guys should just do this yourself, for heaven's sakes. If I can just do these little tea things, so can you. Hey, guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. You just start with, okay, step one. Uh, you know, the balance sheets are clear, whatever. Maybe you got the average Joe and he's got uh, money on his balance sheet. 
And then he goes and he sells a treasury to a bank or whatever you want to do. You can set one up for the treasury when they, as an example, when Janet Yellen, they're talking about issuing 1.7 trillion in deficit spending, right? Coming up. Well, just go ahead and do a little T assets, liabilities of Janet Yellen treasury. And then um, just say that it was non-banks that are buying them and then uh, banks that buy them and, uh, so then that the, the cash goes off their balance sheet. Well, where does that cash go? Does it just disappear in M2? Does it does it turn into, you know, does it go into the TGA? And then once it's in the TGA, when Janet Yellen spends it, well, now, then where does it go? And then how does that impact the balance sheet of the individuals that are receiving the the money, quote unquote, from the, the TGA? Or And then once the Fed comes in, and let's say they do quantitative easing, and then they buy that treasury via the primary dealer, from let's say the, the non-bank, well, then what does that do to M2? And you can sit there and ask yourself and your head just spins like, like, and so did mine when I first started to study this stuff. But once I started to do these things and just simply, okay, the average Joe starts with money on his balance sheet. Okay, that money goes over, now it becomes an asset on the treasury's balance sheet. And they go ahead and they spend that money back in. And now all of a sudden the average Joe in aggregate total has a treasury on his balance sheet. and They've got this, uh, the original M2 that they started with. And then you see that, okay, well, that doesn't really do it. But if they buy from a bank, then the bank is buying with a bank reserve. I think I had that down here. That treasury goes over there. And then so when that's spent in, then M2 increases. All you just do is add up the dollar signs on the balance sheets and bam, it makes it very, very clear, like super clear. And uh, it's just kind of like a, it's like a hack to better understand the global monetary system, uh, the way money is created and maybe the way it's not created and what, you know, what impacts uh, M2, what doesn't impact M2. And uh, I think that kind of ties into the, the first thing that I was talking about, but that's the, 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 the easiest little hack, like I said, to better understand the, the world around you, better understand my videos. And maybe then you can explain it to some of your friends. And then if you do have a question, that maybe I haven't answered in a video, all you have to do is just go to your notepad, do the little uh, assets on the left, liabilities on the right, and just kind of uh, just go through the steps. And uh, you'll be just shocked at, at how easy it is to learn the complexities of the global monetary system, just with that little trick. And you can actually do that very easily on ChatGBT. I mean, my, our good buddy, Justin, we were spending a lot of time going through doing these journal entries on chat GBT. So it's all, you can't mess it up because at first when I was drawing them out, I, I would be, I would get confused sometimes, but with this, I mean, it was extraordinarily easy to, to get everything very neatly and organized. You can do a balance sheet on chat Jeep on the, on the oh, yeah. AI thing. Yeah. I mean, we were doing some complex stuff and it was, it was spot on. So what do you mean by that? Because I thought it's just you you type in like keywords. How do you type? How do you? No, you can you can ask it anything. So we would say, all right, like draw us a um, a T chart balance sheet with these rules, and then oh, okay, and then so then it would it would chart out everything in just the same way that you would draw it, but just very neatly. Yeah, that that's really cool. I appreciate you you giving us the heads up on that. But I, I would still encourage people to do it yourself. Because if you if you think through it on your own, even though you might stumble, even though you might make mistakes, even though it's not as efficient as like, you know, just basically doing like a calculator, which is what that AI sounds like, 
where it just does the math for you. Um, I, I don't think you learn it as well. And the once you have the ability to understand better how the monetary system works and use that as a framework, then once, you know, when Janet Yellen comes out and announces something or when Jerome Powell uh, talks about QE or QT or something, you, you automatically have like this sixth sense that you've developed on how this will could or, or most likely would play out in the real economy because you understand the um, what you tried to learn through all those T balance sheets so well. And I just don't know that you can understand them as well if you delegate some of your learning curve to artificial intelligence. And I, I know that's one of the reasons why I, with a lot of ideas, I kind of just shoot first and ask questions later. And I try to develop them and I try to make, and I'm not afraid to make mistakes. I'm not afraid to make myself look like an idiot, or I'm not afraid to say something that turns out, uh, you know, not to be true. Or um, I, I just, because I'm just trying to refine my thinking as much as I possibly can. And sometimes I think you just got to make those mistakes in order to, to, to do that. But uh, yeah, but that could be kind of a, a shortcut for sure. If your main objective uh, may be just to, kind of briefly understand it and not understand it to the extent to which uh, I like to understand it. I could be just kind of a nerd in that aspect. Okay. And then three would be more on the the personal side, kind of the non-macro finance econ side. And that's really to, to challenge yourself to achieve specific goals and to uh, improve. And I know a lot of times that we, you know, I'm turning 50 this year. So, and I retired when I was 2012 or in 2012 when I was 38 years old. So, you know, what motivates me? Uh, I, I know a lot of people like to accuse me of uh, uh, trying to solicit engagement and doing all these things. But I think most of those people don't realize that I retired in 2012 and I don't have to do this <laughs> like at all. Uh, I just really enjoy it. And it's a fun hobby. And I like talking about this stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, that goes for me as well. I, I try to think about, listen, I don't want to get into a rut. I don't want to just flatline. Um, I, I'm under, I mean, I'm under the belief that uh, if you're not going forward, you're going backward. Like there, there is no static. There is no middle ground. There, there's no way to, to plateau. You're either improving or you're either getting better or you're getting worse. So I just want to always strive to, to get better, whether it's from a physical standpoint, a mental standpoint, and just kind of set those goals and just uh, challenge yourself to achieve them, no matter how comfortable or maybe uncomfortable you are in life. So I think that's just something that I'm trying to do personally. So I wanted to share that with you and uh, encourage you to do the same thing and just continue to push yourself and, and strive to improve, uh, not just with your thinking, but uh, with, with your uh, physical ability. And, uh, you know, if you're a spiritual person, uh, that would definitely fall into the category. And when you do, I think it'll be a lot easier for you to really uh, encourage the values that we talk about on this channel all the time, which is really just freedom, liberty, and free market capitalism. And maybe that's a goal for you. Now, obviously, that's one of my goals every single year is to do whatever I can to to move the needle. And uh, maybe if that's one of your goals, uh, you can 
know, set up uh, objectives, attainable um, kind of milestones in order to help, uh, you know, talk to people or, or maybe you can help uh, your kids appreciate freedom and liberty and free market capitalism greater. Um, you know, I think that would be a very admirable goal. But I don't think you're able to do that if you're not already in the habit of uh, taking positive action. And if you're not in the right place up here, or if you're not in a, in a good place uh, physically, I, I, I think it's a lot more difficult for you to have an impact when it comes to you know, freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, or just trying to persuade uh, your fellow Americans or Australians or Canadians or wherever you live uh, that uh, your way of seeing the world is uh, the correct way. And uh, when doing a cost benefit analysis, right? So those are my quick secrets. The three things that I would encourage you to, to go through and maybe consider for 2023. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, and I'll see you in the next video.